Hello and welcome to the Super Jump Podcast. My name is Mitchell Wolf and I'll be your host today. I'm here with editor-in-chief of Super Jump, James Burns. Hey, what's up? Not much, James. I'm excited to finally be doing this show. We've <laughs> uh, had a few runs at it. This is the maybe third real attempt at starting this show and I feel very good about this one. I feel like this is this is the one that's going to happen. Me too. Third time's the charm, I think. Third time is the charm. Uh, so welcome to the Super Jump Podcast. We are a video game podcast, but Super Jump is also a publication on Medium.com. You can find great articles written by James, written by myself, written by other Super Jump uh, contributors, actually mostly other Super Jump com- uh, contributors, and those articles are all written with love and care. James, do you want to just take a second and talk about what Super Jump is? Yeah, look, I guess it's it's really just um, it's really just a place where people who love games, who are passionate about games, write about what they love. Um, we try to keep it, you know, cynicism free. We try to keep it positive, and you'll see all sorts of stuff. So one minute there'll be, you know, a detailed discussion about Overwatch characters and gameplay stats. Next minute there'll be something about Mario Kart. So um it, it's really a fun place um and it's a really positive place fantastic i'm excited to go there <laughs> uh yeah that's yeah i am i it's not that i'm not i am <laughs> it's a good, good place to be it's a good thing it's a good place to find good things to read it is <laughs> uh this was super jumps well it was for super jumps first year but specifically super jumps first year at e3 james you were there i was and i somehow survived <laughs> um, yeah I, yeah wow that's <laughs> that's big yeah uh it, it was a really interesting one because of course it was the first year where the show was open to the general public um which was great in in many ways you know there were a lot of people who um have followed E3 for many, many years, and this was their first opportunity to really be there and soak up the atmosphere in person. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was great in that sense. Uh, but as you may have seen on on Super Jump and just about everywhere, um, it was also a little bit of a hot mess. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it, it was almost as though the organizers sort of weren't prepared for the massive crowds that ended up attending. Um, and I think the big kind of downside of that was just the fact that, especially if you were there as a fan, um, and you you know there were all these great games you wanted to try, you were typically waiting in line for, you know, if you were lucky, you were in line for maybe half an hour, 45 minutes. Uh, but if you were unlucky, we could be talking an hour and a half. Some people reported they were sitting there for two hours in line. Um, and when you when you got to the front of the line and you played the game, depending on the demo, um, some of them were really short. So you you might be waiting for an hour to play five minutes of Sonic Forces. You know, um, some of the demos, especially the Nintendo demos, were quite a lot longer. Um, but that also meant that people were waiting in line longer as well. So I think, um, 
I think it was it was an interesting show. It it I think it's always fun to be at E three. It's always exciting. Um, but I really felt for people who were attending as fans, you know, who had paid for their tickets, um, and maybe they got to play sort of three or four games each day of the show, um, if they were lucky. A friend of mine, uh, told me that the only thing they were able to play was Doom VR, and... (laughs) <laughs> that is not something that they were particularly interested in trying out. Uh, yeah, they they were not a they're not normally a fan of either Doom or VR, <laughs> and this is it's just kind of how it worked out. Everything, all the other lines were closed, and they couldn't do multiple days. It was just the one day, and that sounds like a bad video game convention. Yeah, um, I would almost say. Well, I would say, I wouldn't almost say, that it was sort of confused, you know. It was, the structure of it was very similar to previous E3s in terms of it being very much a trade show. Mm-hmm. Um, but you you had different publishers handling demos and crowds in different ways. Um, it, it was sort of all over the place. It, it felt very disorganized from a from a fan perspective. Um, from a media perspective, it was a little bit different because, you know, the key was really making your appointments ahead of time. Excuse me. You're right. Yeah. Just... Should well, I start that's going to be hard again? to edit out. No, just keep going. We're, <laughs> we're all warts, all warts on this show. <laughs> no worries. Um, yeah, if you were media, it wasn't so bad because you could you know, you can make your appointments ahead of time um, and and being organized and having everything lined up was really key. Mm-hmm. Um, I only had, really, I only had one appointment booked for the time I was there. Um, and I did experience standing in line waiting to play Sonic Forces. Um, and that was one of the shorter lines in terms of like the big publishers. Um, so luckily, I, I luckily I didn't have to settle for Doom VR. Not that Doom VR is <laughs> bad, but <laughs> I was interested to try Sonic. Um, so so at least at least I had that. But I was only there for the one day as well. Um, and we're we're going to talk about your appointment probably in a little bit. But Sonic Forces, are you are you a longtime Sonic fan? I I am. Um, I'm I'm one of these tired tired Sonic fans. Yeah, it's got to be rough. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough. Um, you know, I like like a lot of people in their thirties. Um, I grew up with Sonic. You know, when when Sonic was first around, and loved Sonic. <clears throat> um, I I started to have issues with when Sonic Adventure came around. Um, I thought right. Sonic Adventure was great. At least the Sonic and Tails levels were great. But, I mean, I, I didn't get Big the Cat. Like, I didn't get those levels. Um, I, I thought they were sort of trying to do too much and, and be too many things to too many people. And it, I sort of felt it didn't really work. <laughs> that is an interesting description for Big the Cat. I don't know if I've ever heard <laughs> Big the Cat described as 
doing too much, but <laughs> but there are some there are some hardcore Big the Cat fans out there, um, which I find fascinating. Um, you know, I'm sure he's lovely. He's a good bloke, uh, but he's, <laughs> he's he's not that interesting uh, from a gameplay perspective. Um, oh sure, I don't I don't I would hazard a guess saying that. Fans of Big the Cat are not fans specifically of the frog fishing minigame from Sonic Adventure <laughs> 1. They are fans of the wacky character that he can be in the Sonic universe. That's my <laughs> assumption. There may be fans of the frog fishing minigame. <laughs> All ten of them out there. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I guess everyone's a bit different when it comes to the, the point where they lost the faith. Um, but... For me, you know, Sonic Adventure 1 and 2 were both pretty good. Everything after that is a little bit of a blur. Um, you know, I, I tried Sonic Generations, which was okay. I kind of dabbled after that. I think I'd been burnt enough that I, I, I just didn't see anything coming out that really interested me. And I felt like the last few years have all been about, um, you know, the developers trying to find sonic's identity and, and trying to figure out how do we make a 3d sonic game right. um and so i played a few minutes of sonic forces uh it felt it felt a lot like sonic generations um but it definitely left me intrigued it, it seemed the demo seemed very very polished um, I, I really liked the controls. It felt very, very tight. Mm -hmm. Um, and the levels, I'm trying to think how to describe them, the Sonic Adventure-esque levels where, you know, you're kind of running forward into the screen, um, were, were quite well done. They, they kind of reminded me of the original Sonic Adventure. So I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm, I definitely not going to write Sonic off forever. Um, I'm definitely going to give this a try when it comes out. Um, so it, it was not a bad demo. So speaking as someone who just, um, to put it in a, in, in a sensitive way, I just don't care about Sonic <laughs> or maybe that, that maybe that's insensitive. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but I, I just was never a fan of the Genesis games. There are lots of aspects of Sonic that I find good, um, but I, I don't think any of them are going to be in my favorite, my top 10 maybe, or anything like that. Yeah. Um, as something, as that kind of person, Sonic Forces does have me excited uh, for the custom character. Mm. I just think that's a cool idea. Um, yeah. A lot of Sonic fans are into that custom character lifestyle that uh original <laughs> creation deviant art do not steal character situation yeah uh, wh what are your thoughts on that what 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 does that bring to the sonic universe is that good or is that bad oh i feel like we're completely mirroring each other here because that aspect i don't care about at all uh, <laughs> i feel I, that. I i mean i definitely understand that that's kind of a big part of the sonic community and that that um, side of the community has really grown and evolved. And I think it's a really good sign that the developers are kind of listening to people and thinking about how do they respond to those wishes. 
Um, the biggest positive for me was that I, I played a level as a custom character. They didn't, the demo didn't allow us to create characters or check out that side of it at all. Um, but I played a level as a custom character and the gameplay felt pretty good. Um, very much kind of 2D platformer with a weapon. Um, well, did it still... feel as good as either of the other Sonics, the past Sonic or present Sonic? Um, it felt, it actually felt a little bit more fluid than the the actual Sonic levels that I tried, okay. and I think I think that's because you're running along and moving quite fast, but you've got a weapon that can actually destroy. Um, obstacles in front of you so it it kind of um it, it kind of felt a little bit more fast-paced and fluid i mean i i played you know may, maybe a minute of that that level so i didn't get a really good feel for it but definitely what i played felt good from the outside looking in it looks like all every sonic fan is very excited about sonic mania mm. and is pretty pessimistic about Sonic Forces. Even if they think it could be good, they're taking it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Because they've been burnt on that kind of Sonic game before. Yeah. Is it weird that just their little... What was kind of supposed to be their little side Sonic game is now the main event for a lot of people? Is that strange? Uh, uh Look, I think if you're a Sonic purist... um. If you love the the classics, it's it's not too strange. Um, and I'm gonna get my facts wrong here, I'm sure, but from memory, the guy that is primarily responsible for Sonic Mania is um, I hope I don't get his name wrong, Chris Whitehead, I think. Uh, um, and I, I think Whitehead is right. Chris sounds. Hang on, I'll Google. You talk. Thank you. <laughs> um. But from memory, he had worked on the Game Boy Advance Sonic title and the DS Sonic platformers as well. So you are correct. His name is Christian Whitehead. I don't there know if he go. just goes by Chris ever, but Christian is definitely uh, That's that. probably just my, my Aussie desire to shorten everybody's names as much as I can. <laughs> and I'm looking um, at his works right now. It doesn't yeah. look like he was part of the ds or gba teams but he did it looks like he broke into the scene actually doing real stuff for sega after doing a lot of fan games uh his first thing was the sonic cd port for oh that's just right about everything it, that's 360 right. ps3 and phones and computers that's, and then he that, did a bunch yeah. of the phone stuff for sonic uh one and two Okay, that yeah, okay, that makes sense. That must be what I'm thinking of, the Sonic CD work. Because the reason I mention it is because um, one of the comments that was sort of floating around about him for a while in the fan community was that he had really nailed the um, kind of the subtleties of Sonic, especially the controls, the movement, the momentum, which is very, very precise. Mm -hmm. um and i haven't played sonic mania i didn't get the chance to play it at e3 but everything i've heard about it sort of suggests that that aspect of the game is very true to you know the 16-bit 
titles. Um, so I think it, it's almost as though this is an alternate timeline and right after Sonic 3, Sega just went and created Sonic 4 and that's what Sonic Mania is. It's almost ignoring all of the other stuff that happened. Even the um, thing called Sonic 4. Even the thing called Sonic 4, which was really <laughs> not very good. Um, so, uh, you know, I can definitely see why people are excited. Um, for me, I'm really looking forward to getting Sonic Mania on Switch. I actually think that's going to be the most interesting flavor just because it's portable. Right. Yeah. Um... I'm going to wrap this up because I didn't expect to spend, frankly, any time talking about Sonic in this episode. <laughs> um, but just one one last bit on Sonic before we leave the... What, he, he runs on loops? Before we leave the loop. That, that sounds good, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, in Sonic Generations, the first game where you have past Sonic meeting modern Sonic... Uh, which Sonic Forces is kind of aping that same formula a little bit. Sonic is traveling through time to meet himself. So it's like one Sonic really just later in life is <laughs> modern Sonic. Now stay with me here because there's some things from Sonic Forces and I can't exactly pretend to be actually mad about this because I'm just not a Sonic fan. But it does bother me a little bit that in Sonic Forces, they've decided to say that past Sonic is from a different dimension than modern <laughs> Sonic. And, uh, well, I've, I've written a previous article on Super Jump about the broken continuity in the Legend of Zelda series. Mm. And if you've read this, you would know that this would bother me. You would know that this uh, poor attention to detail and continuity and broken continuity between games is something that I would be a little bit of a a stickler about. Why? I don't know. It's a personality (laughs) deficit, but but it honestly does bother me a little bit. Um, You said you had an appointment at E3. What was that to play? Uh, So that was an appointment with Nintendo. Um, and that was to play pretty much anything that was on offer. Um, so, so they had, um, I, I started with the 2DS Excel, uh, and I played a little bit of the new Mario and Luigi RPG. Um, but to be honest, uh, and, and actually quite like that series. Um, but really that was just the entree before the main and (laughs) the main was, um, Super Mario Odyssey. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I ended up playing Super Mario Odyssey and Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle. Mm -hmm. And I played a little bit of the new Fire Emblem game on Switch as well. Um, so I'm pretty excited about Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle and I know that that is not exactly the thing to be excited about of these games uh, being that one of them is called Super Mario Odyssey but Super <laughs> uh, but Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle looks pretty cool 
Um, what what did you think? Uh, I was surprised, and and I guess I think everybody was surprised when the game was announced, just because uh, I, I know there was one developer who said, "I didn't know we could do that." I can't remember who it was. I uh, been... if I'm thinking about the same thing you're talking about, uh, it was the the actual developer from XCOM, <laughs> yes. of which Mario and Rabbit's Kingdom Battle apes a lot of its yes. gameplay mechanics. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and I just thought that was an interesting comment because really, who knew, right? Um, yeah. Who who would have guessed? Uh, just year and... 2017, suddenly Nintendo is fine giving Mario a gun. Yeah, yeah, it's really weird. Um, but putting that aside for a moment, um, I played one battle in the game and it's, it's very much, the way I would describe it is, um, you, you kind of move around the map in a, in a similar way as older Mario games where, you know, you've kind of got different levels and you move between the levels on the map. Mm -hmm. But in, in Mario and Rabbids, um, the map is actually this kind of overworld that you, that you walk through. Um, from what I could tell, it's fairly linear. So it's not an open world thing. You just kind of move from battle to battle. Um, and you, you seamlessly enter these battles. So you don't kind of enter a different world or a different screen. These battles just kind of unfold in front of you. Um, and I mean, from there, it's very much XCOM with Mario and Rabbids paintwork on top, which is not a bad thing. Yeah, um, it sounds like you're, it sounds dismissive, but that also like sounds awesome to it, me. It, yeah, that, it that sounds really exactly works. what I would like right now. It really, really works. And, and one thing I liked about it was they, they kind of utilize, um, elements of the Mario games within that context of kind of XCOM turn-based strategies. So for example, um, a particular battle battlefield will have warp pipes all over it. And you can actually use the warp pipes to kind of, um, you know, flank your enemies or jump in behind them. And the enemies can use them as well. So you have these quite large battlefields that are all destructible. Um, and, and you can kind of quickly move your way around the map using these warp pipes. Um, it's, it's, there are some really clever design elements that actually incorporate Mario, um, ideas. So at first glance, it just looks like this coat of paint, but actually the developers, I think, have really thought about how this kind of gameplay system would play out in a Mario world if that makes sense mm -hmm. um and you know aside from that i would i would just say that as you would probably expect it's it, it definitely comes across as very very polished um really nice graphics i thought very very in keeping with what you'd expect to see from nintendo first party stuff um the only thing I would say, and this is a, this is something that I can probably overlook, but I've never really been a fan of the Rabbids as characters. No, me neither. Um, I know there are some people that really, really love them, but to they me, they're large in Europe for some reason. Yeah, I've heard that. Um, I've heard that they're very big in Europe, but definitely here, um, 
they're they're not they're not <laughs> yes same same here same here yeah. in uh sunny southern california mm. they they we don't care and i feel weird being told by ubisoft to care about the rabbits <laughs> in this way that they are doing which is that is what they are doing they're being very demanding of me to care about rabbits <laughs> and it kind of works it's just they they work in the mario universe a lot better than you'd think and i was expecting a lot of the same kind of humor you would find in like a, a despicable me yeah. minions movie and there's some of that for sure but it's less it, yes. it it just it seems more however you can do that in a tasteful way they seem to have found out how to do that which is impressive honestly um yeah it, it i i'm happy with it <laughs> is what i'm trying to say but the big one we're we're kind of dancing around the big one the big one is mario odyssey and you played it i did how was it um absolutely incredible <laughs> Um, it's, I, I guess, you know, the, the, there's, there's been a lot of, there have been a lot of articles and videos and chances are, if you're listening to this conversation, you, you already know quite a lot about it. Um, yeah. I guess the way, what I would say is the way that it feels to play, it's, it reminded me a lot of. Breath of the Wild. Uh, it, it's been compared a lot to, you know, Super Mario sixty four and uh, and Super Mario Sunshine, and I can see why those comparisons would be made. But there's a lot more to it than that. It, if you think about what Breath of the Wild did with Zelda, mm -hmm. that it that it kind of broke down what a Zelda game is and rebuilt it from the ground up. That's very much how this feels. Uh, it's definitely Mario, but it it feels very different in a very good way. Uh, and it has elements to it that feel deeper than previous Mario games. And what I mean is uh, the way that quests work. I'm not sure if they're actually called quests, but... You know, you in each kingdom you kind of have quests or mission objectives to collect and power moons. To collect power moons. So the ultimate kind of goal, I guess, is is similar to Super Mario sixty four in the sense that you know you're you're collecting a moon instead of a star. Um, but the way that you go about that is really interesting and really really varied. Um, and you'll have these. You know, to get a moon, you'll have kind of these multi-stage, almost, uh, yeah, quests with specific objectives underneath each quest. Um, I, I don't know that, you know, every moon in the game is going to be that way, but it, it definitely felt more open and varied and deep than a typical 3D Mario game. It's a, it's, it's a really interesting mixture of ideas. Um, and it, it feels really good. It, it seems to work really well. So here's a comparison I want to make, and I'm hesitant to make it because it might be unfair. But do you think that this really can do for Mario what Breath of the Wild did earlier this year for Zelda? 
Like, to really to that extent? It would be it, asking a lot. It's, it's hard to say. Uh, it's really hard to say. But... I think the potential is there. Okay. Um, that, I mean, that's... That's yeah. pretty good. That's a even even that tentative statement is like that's really good. I've been replaying Breath of the Wild to uh, um because of the new DLC that came out. I've been playing it on hard mode, yeah, or master mode as it's called. And I'm I'm just rediscovering. Even though it's been like four months, I'm I'm already just rediscovering <laughs> everything that made that game so fun. Uh, yeah, so good the first time around. And yeah. it really just broke down Zelda's game design to a fundamental level. Yeah. And I've been hearing people talk about Mario Odyssey as if it is poised to do the same thing for Mario. If true, I haven't played it. I wasn't on the show floor. Um, if true, fantastic. That said, I'm having a hard time believing it could really live up to that. <laughs> live up to yeah. what Breath of the Wild did. Yeah, yeah, the bar is very, very high there. But um, uh, and, and the other thing is, I mean, the the demo, the E three demo was really it was only two levels, um, or it was two areas of two larger kingdoms, if I can put it that way. Right. Um, they did show. Outside of that demo, there's some footage, uh, and I think the Treehouse team were showing this off. There is footage of, of a boss battle, uh, which was not part of the demo, and that looks pretty incredible. Um, there's a lot more going on here than the E3 demo itself suggests. And, and one example I mentioned in the Super Jump article about it is you, you've got these kingdoms with that that are very kind of dense um, in terms of objectives and gameplay. There's a lot going on in a, in in small spaces, but it it appears that you can return to these kingdoms at different times, and the conditions completely change. And I don't know to what extent that happens. I don't know if it just happens with bosses, for example, but. The example the Treehouse guys showed was where they, they came back to the Metro Kingdom uh, to fight this boss. They came back at night, and it was in the middle of this massive storm. And, I mean, it looks absolutely gorgeous. Like, the you know, the, the rain effects, the water everywhere, it just looks incredible. But it's not just cosmetic. Um, one of the things they talked about was that when you return to Metro Kingdom... In, under these kind of different conditions that the world itself is quite different and significantly more dangerous the nature of the enemies changes um, and and I, I don't know if there are structural changes to the environment but uh, that the place where you go to fight the boss is a place that I don't think is sort of generally accessible when you're there during the day so They've shown this little glimpse of something much bigger going on. Uh, and I'm really interested to see how far that goes. I don't know if it's just a very, you know, what they showed is pretty much it and there's not much to it. Or if there's a lot more going on. I really hope the latter. Um, mm -hmm. 
but it, it just looks really, really interesting. Yeah, it's one of those things where um, before, be, to go back to Breath of the Wild, before that game's release, um, I was at E3 last year, and I, I did play it then. And I, I was pretty flabbergasted with how well, um, or how good the Great Plateau area felt. I, it, it was fun to run around with Link, similar to how it's always been fun to run around with uh, Mario, but that hasn't always been true with Link. And uh, it, it just felt truly, truly open. And all that was great, but I, I couldn't tell yet if they could actually find a balance between having the kind of mm. characters and interesting locales that earlier Zelda game did and also keep that openness throughout the whole game. And it turns out that I think they did a pretty damn good job with it. Uh, with Mario, I'm, I'm in that doubtful stage again. Like, are yeah. they going to be able to maintain this level of awe and this level of fun and openness throughout the whole game? I would love to see that. I really, really hope so. Uh, and I'm, I'm optimistic. I, I, I sound like I'm doubting that they would, but I, I just don't know yet. And I'm, I'm interested to see how that's going to pan out. Can you believe that that game is only three months away? It's it's crazy. It's or three months <laughs> and twenty days, so I guess closer to four. But it's oh, it's unbelievable, and it's I, I think it's a really great. Uh, I in general, and and I felt this way about Fallout Four. I really prefer developers and publishers to just wait a little bit longer before they show us stuff, so that they can say, "Here's this great thing," and by the way, it's. You know, it's out within the next kind of six months. Um, that's definitely my preferred way of having stuff revealed. Um, one one quick thing I'd mention. Uh, I don't know if, how many videos you've seen, but if you haven't seen the Treehouse video of the, and I don't remember the, the level's name, but there's sort of a forest level in Mario Odyssey. I highly Steam recommend. Steam Gardens, I believe. Steam Gardens, there you go. Um, it, I highly recommend checking that out because that was not, that was also not part of the playable demo. But uh, when I watched that video, I was really surprised at the way that they've kind of folded in lots of different kind of multi level experiences within one location and it sounds vague and confusing when i say it but when you watch the video you'll see what i mean okay will do um you know they've been comparing odyssey to mario 64 and sunshine a lot because those are the only other uh open world in quotes mario games they were open world in at the turn of the millennium, they're not necessarily considered open world by today's standards, um, mm. but they're still using the word open world. But Odyssey seems way more open world than that, and uh, it actually reminds me a lot more, more than any Mario game, It uh, the comparisons to Banjo-Kazooie for me yeah. run pretty thick, and yeah. you know this about me, I'm a huge Banjo-Kazooie fan, yeah. uh, so I'm going to notice these things. But the, the power moons in Mario Odyssey, they don't take you out of the level. And that's mm. a big deal. Because if a power moon 
took you out of the level like a power star did in in uh super mario 64 that would make the game feel a lot more mission based you go into a world looking for a power star you do a thing you either find it or defeat an enemy or collect a number of things and then the star appears and you get it and then you exit the world yeah um in banjo kazooie the analog to power stars are jiggies and there's 10 of them in each world and jiggies are identical in function to the power moons in odyssey uh you are Mm. not taken out of the world they are some of them are pretty easy to get some of them are very hard to get um but they are they all require exploration and can be chained together in one kind of uh one sweep of the world uh another comparison to banjo kazooie is that uh when when mario games specifically 64 and 3d world uh the most recent one 3d world have been not exactly living breathing worlds so much as as like obstacle courses made out of blocks uh that sounds disparaging but not it's not like it does it very well uh and banjo kazooie's worlds have always been living breathing very naturalistic things yeah uh odyssey goes towards that as well uh, if you want to get really granular about it, Banjo and Kazooie are one platformer with a buddy in its clothing that helps out, uh, kind of on top of him, with Kazooie being the bird on top of him. Mario and Cappy, pretty much the same situation there. Platformer and a friend on top that lives in his clothing. Yeah. Uh, there was a scrapped co-op mode for Banjo Tooie. I'm getting sorry. Th- I'm getting. I'm doing this though. There's a lot of comparisons to be made. <laughs> uh, there's a, a scrapped co-op mode in Banjo Tooie called Bottles Revenge, where the demonic vo- uh, the demonic ghost of Bottles, this mole that you meet in Banjo Kazooie, uh, is able to be controlled by the second player. And they are able to inhabit the bodies of enemies that Banjo and Kazooie find around the world. Yep. And uh, that is exactly what the co-op mode in Odyssey is. In Banjo Tooie, that mode's actually still in the game. It works perfectly. There's just some glitches um, that they couldn't iron out, so they didn't include it in the final. Well, they didn't unlock it in the final version. You can access it in the code. But yeah, there's a lot of Banjo-Kazooie uh, stuff there. And in a year when I kind of expected to see Banjo-Kazooie maybe uh, and yeah. didn't, I feel pretty great about seeing a lot of Banjo-Kazooie elements in Mario Odyssey. So I'm happy about that. And I'm I'm excited that you've played it. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a great game. It's one to look forward to. Folks, we are not a Nintendo podcast. Um I know it kind of sounds like we are, we are at this point. Uh, that's just kind of how this E3 happened to us. Is there anything uh, outside of Nintendo that you were excited about? Um, look, I, I'm tentatively interested, if that's a thing, okay. for the <laughs> for the Xbox One X. Okay. Um, I I still don't really know how I feel about it. Um, I mean, I think Microsoft had a, had a reasonably good show uh, and there were definitely some, you know, there were definitely some initial, uh, some additional titles announced, which was great. Um, But 
I, I guess what I would say is I've had an Xbox One. Uh, I, I was, I came to it pretty late. I, I got an Xbox One sort of about six months ago, maybe a little bit more. And I actually think it's, there are some fantastic games on there. Um, but especially recently, it, it really has been collecting dust. And a, and a lot of that is because, is, is not because the Xbox One doesn't have great games. I think it's just because there has been so much content of really high quality on PS4 and Switch. Mm-hmm. And, and so if, if you have that first world problem where you own multiple consoles and you only have so much attention, um, it's been tough for Microsoft to kind of fight for that attention, I think. Right. Um, uh, they definitely did a good job at this year's E3, but it'll be interesting to see over the coming months how that plays out, especially in terms of exclusive content um, and especially in terms of content that takes advantage of the the hardware capabilities of this thing. I thought Microsoft's show in general was pretty great. Um, maybe except for the Xbox One, I think I might be on the opposite side from you on that one. It it just I'm not sure how that's going to help the Xbox One mm. infrastructure. When I agree that what it really really needs is good exclusives. Yeah, and there's some on the way, and they've shown that, and that's exciting. Uh, especially Sea of Thieves. Sea of Thieves is probably the biggest non Nintendo thing I'm excited for out, coming out of uh, E3. Yeah cool um pirate based mmo i think they did a really good job explaining how the game works uh i don't want to go into too much detail right now because i wouldn't do it justice compared to the gameplay uh video that they put out for e3 i'm sure you can look that up on youtube um but it it was really good and it showed exactly how the game works now aside from some stuff like that i'm just not sure where they're really, really going with their Xbox One X strategy. Yeah. Because you'd think that they would do that with the hopes of getting more third-party exclusives. So if they can sell enough One Xs, there will then be demand for One X games, and then third-party exclusives will come based on that. That's what happened with the PS4. And I think Microsoft's trying to chase that as well. But at that price point, I'm just not sure it's going to happen. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think maybe it's it's kind of an irony, I think, is that one area where, and this is for me personally, I don't know if the market in general kind of reflects this, but one area where I think Microsoft have really been kicking goals is around the backwards compatibility stuff. Right, um, yeah. And, and there are some, there was a recent announcement about the ability to gift games to, you know, from player to player, which uh, is actually something I would use. Um, so uh, there are, there are a lot of areas where I think Microsoft are really pushing hard to provide a lot of value to people. But I did read an article recently that was saying that, um, you know, Microsoft are going through all these kind of, backflips to get backwards compatibility going but 
uh, and I can't remember the figure, but apparently the actual sales, the actual number of people who are taking advantage of that is vanishingly small. Um, and, and I think, I believe it was an executive from Sony that was asked about backwards compatibility and they basically said, you know, we're not focusing on that quite as much because that's not where people are going. You know, that's not where the growth is coming from. Um, so You're seeing that all over the place. Um, Nintendo. Nintendo, who's previously just been known all over, uh, like for every one of the last three consoles they launched, they had a pretty big virtual console library for you yeah. to bypass games. And the Switch launches, it's kind of the perfect console for that because playing Super Nintendo and Nintendo 64 games in portable mode would be fantastic. And it's just yeah. not there anymore. It's just not there. And I, I, it's a good point to bring up the just the economics of it. I, I didn't suspect that could be a possibility, but just the idea that people wanting older games is diminishing hasn't occurred to me, but I suppose that could definitely be true. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, Nintendo has had, um, I mean, they've had some problems with it as well, but they've had pretty massive success and interest with the, the NES Classic and now the SNES Classic. Right. Uh, and and so there is something about, and I don't know what it is, there is something about the way that they're packaging that and, and the way that they're delivering that experience in that physical hardware versus virtual console that, that seems to be generating a lot more interest and excitement, um, even though I personally would just love to have all those games on virtual console. I want to play them all on my Switch. You know, I want it to be easy, etc., etc. But it it that seems obvious to me intuitively, but it doesn't seem to be where the broader market sits, and and I don't understand it well enough to know exactly why. But um, Sony and Nintendo seem to be picking up on something there. They they must smell something in the water that no one else does because it just seems so easy, right? Yeah. Um, it's not hard to emulate the NES. Um, it's slightly harder, but still not very hard at all to en emulate the Super Nintendo. Going yeah. past that, it actually is pretty difficult to emulate those uh, later systems. But for, at least for those first two, and I think that's the bulk of the demand. Yeah. Um, it, it seems almost just like drag the, drag the ROM file from one folder to another and just put it in there and have people be able to buy it. Uh, mm. But there there must be some hidden cost that we the consumer just wouldn't know about because otherwise I, don't, I have no idea why they wouldn't just go ahead and do that. That's been our E3 discussion, even if it didn't feel like an E3 discussion. We only get one of those, one post-E3 podcast, and this is ours. Um, we wanted to talk about the year 2017 and what the year 2017 has been for gaming. Um, you've probably heard this in a few different uh, communities, if you're big into gaming media online, that 2017 has been an abnormally great year for video games. 
um probably one for the history books what what do you think uh james is that fair yeah i think that's very fair um i was uh i, I was going through and thinking about this before this podcast and i came across um it was actually a piece that i wrote for super jump and it was about the games of march kind of you know march and early april and mm-hmm. Just that one month, sort of between four and six week period, was insane. I mean, if that had been, if that month had represented all the big games over the span of a whole year, we would have the right to be pretty pleased. Uh, but then when you kind of zoom out and look at the whole year, it's pretty incredible. Um, I, I don't think I've seen a year like this in gaming for a very long time. Well, that's a that's an it's it's interesting that you bring up March because I feel like March is actually pretty specifically great out of everything this year. Um, yeah. Let's see. There was the Switch um, as a whole. That console came out in March on the third, the same day as the Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild, which we've already sung the praises of on this podcast. What else came out in March? Well, <laughs> this. Uh takes on a different meaning now that we're post-March. But <laughs> one game I was really, really looking forward to was Mass Effect Andromeda. Right, yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah. That was exciting up until it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much, pretty much. Um, and then early April, and I included it in that, in that article, but uh, it was actually early April, was Persona 5 which seems to have, and, and this could just be a complete hyperbolic comment, but from everything I've read and, and looking at the sales of that game, especially compared to previous Persona games, it seems to be kind of the first Persona game that's really hit massive mass market sales numbers. Um, yeah, I think, I think some, that's fair. Yeah, um, some journalists even went as far as to say that it's kind of resurrected general interest in Japanese RPGs. I think that's um, not fair. But yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 you know, it's it's probably worth saying that. Um, I mean, in the last in the last year or so, we've had some pretty kind of interesting Japanese RPG releases in general. And I'm, I'm including Final Fantasy XV in that bucket, even though it's maybe not a traditional JRPG. Um, sure. But, yeah, Persona 5 was massive. Um, and one other game that I'm still playing through, it's it's on the shelf for me at the moment, uh, is Near Automata. I thought that right. was... Right, there you go. Pretty incredible, and... One of the most unique games I've, I think I've ever played. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I would agree with you. If the whole year could be summed up with just Breath of the Wild, Near Automata, and Persona Five, I would call that a good year. Yeah, but there's more than that. There's, um, I, <laughs> I sorry for blanking on that as soon as I said there's more than that, but there was more than that. Uh, well, in January, we got Resident Evil 7, yes. which um, surprised <laughs> everyone by being good. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, I kind of the opposite is of uh, Mass Effect Andromeda. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I I thoroughly enjoyed Resident Evil Seven, except, and I'm going to make the assumption that we can maybe include very mild spoilers at this point. Um, it's over six months old. It's over six months old. I think it's time uh, for yeah. mild spoilers, <laughs> Good. at least. Um, I think the game is absolutely brilliant until you leave the house, until you until you go to the boat. Um, I I felt as though there was a really clear dividing line between the point at which the game had a really sharp single vision and focus that it executed really well versus the point where it started to get a little bit confused about what it was yeah um and and everything after the the residence um to me kind of felt like it, it kind of felt like a funny mashup of first person resident evil with some traditional um traditional resident evil stuff that kind of didn't mesh very well together sure where uh whereas the residents you know the way that was divided up the way that you had the way it was kind of divided between each family member and and the idea that each family member was kind of stalking you until you confronted them um and there were there were these subtly different themes with each part of the house um i i just thought that was brilliant and really clever and and executed very well yeah i it, it's frustrating to be hung up on that one part of the game but i actually feel the same way uh mm. because the rest of the game is just so good yeah um and and it definitely deserves to be talked about as one of the best games of the year here's another game that came out this year i don't know if you've uh followed it to the extent that I have, uh, but it's Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. Uh, have you checked this game out at all? No, I haven't. Uh, so, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds is a battle royale shooter, which is apparently a whole genre that exists that I just didn't know about uh, huh. before PUBG, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, existed. Uh, and a battle royale shooter, it reminds me a lot of Hunger Games. The idea is that there's a lot of individuals in in every round. In every match of Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, there are around a hundred, at most a hundred, uh individuals that are all going to be competing for that number one spot. So if you win a game of this, it is it's almost never because you're lucky. Um yeah. because it it's one out of a hundred. Um you you really need to perfect your skills and get better and better. And I've found that my computer cannot run it, which is, well, it, it's sad, but it's also not surprising at this point because it's pretty par for the course for me. My computer is terrible <laughs> and I need a new one. But I've been watching a lot of people stream it, and this is probably the first game that I've really gotten into watching streams of. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. I watched, like, speedruns and... Uh, Summer Games Done Quick was recently. That was great to watch. But 
this is the first game that like I, I'm consistently coming back to different streamers who are streaming Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, and I love watching it. it it's fan, it's fascinating to me. Yeah. Uh, the idea of all these people trying to just survive into the last moment, it's legitimately terrifying. And, uh, and it's not a horror game. It's not supposed to be terrifying. It's it's almost a cartoon shooter. It, it looks realistic, but it's it's cartoony in like the amount of violence that it has and and all and all that. It, it it's like one of the more futuristic um, Call of Duties in that way. Yeah. But just watching the dynamics of people go from there are ninety nine people besides myself that are alive right now to just knowing that there are five more people on the map and <laughs> the map size is shrinking every second and they're getting closer and closer to one another and people are getting scared out of their mind. And you can imagine <laughs> that the people on the other end of the server are also scared out of their mind. Uh, and, and it's just incredibly tense. It's probably the first shooter, the first competitive shooter in a while that's really caught my interest that has... Um, no, I'm end of sentence. It's the first big competitive shooter in a while that's really caught my interest. Wow. Uh, interesting game. It came out of I believe Player Unknown was a modder for DayZ. Oh, okay. And Battlegrounds was originally a mod for DayZ that he broke off into just his own game. Completely oh, that's his own awesome. Game. Yeah. That yeah, I I love that. I really love those stories. Yeah, same with um Dota. Dota's kind yeah. of the same situation there. Uh Oh, cool. I'll need I'll definitely need to check that out because it, it's interesting um you know, you, you mentioned that it's it's a game that is great from a spectator perspective and I I have to admit even though I've watched, and I don't really watch many of them now, but in the past I've watched a few specific Let's Play videos, um, and, and it had to be the right game and the right player and all the rest right. of it. Uh, but I, I have to admit I haven't really watched kind of competitive games as a spectator very often. Um, I but think I'm this is definitely the first game open to it. That I'm watching competitively, or that I'm watching competitive streams of yeah. that i don't also play myself um, yeah that's really interesting yeah it, it's a big deal out. yeah i'm i'm very comfortable even though i just have not played that much of it before i decided that my computer was too old to be participating in it yeah um i i would put it in my top five games of this year easy it's it's just wow. really made the mark for me that's awesome yeah um, so, do we have any other big, uh, just exciting games or game-related things that happened so far in 2017 already? There, there are a couple. Um, I think a big one from earlier in the year, other than Resident Evil Seven, is Horizon Zero Dawn. Sure, yeah, three days which, before Zelda. Yeah, and <laughs> it's interesting because. Um, I've actually been speaking to a few people who have picked up the game on my recommendation, um, but they're playing it after they've finished Breath of the Wild. And the timing is, I feel, a little bit 
bad for Guerrilla Games, and not that they need my sympathy. This game did very, very well. It right, reviewed yeah. very well, it, and it is absolutely fantastic. Especially considering that their last thing was Killzone, which is yeah. notably unpopular. Yeah, it's it's almost like... The only analogy I can think of is it's almost like Doom 2016, uh, it, it just in terms of, um, you know, here are these developers who, you know, they produced a thing, they're known for that thing, um, and, and here they come and just completely surprise everybody with something so completely different and so, um, uh, God, I've been using the word polished and executed far too often <laughs> in this conversation, but that's immediately what comes to mind. It's, it's an incredibly um, kind of well-made, you know, sophisticated experience. Um, the only thing is that uh, it's... If you've played Zelda before playing Horizon... <laughs> yeah. Uh, Horizon is, is certainly the more technically impressive game. Um, but I don't think that's hard. I I don't think no no um, of all the things Breath of the Wild does well. I don't think just being technically impressive is one of them. No, um, but and, and it certainly has a much deeper plot, um, and, and a very interesting plot as well. But I think the big thing is that once you get used to Zelda and you get used to the ability to climb anything and go anywhere and all the rest of it. You jump into Horizon, and the game starts with this very, very um, uh, sort of typical tutorial that's quite long, that's very guided. You know, you're very much on train tracks right at the beginning. Um, it takes a while to warm up, and I've, I've actually had some complaints from people that I recommended the game to who sort of said, well... I'm not, I'm not enjoying it, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's really not that great. And I keep saying to them, just be patient. It'll get better. You've got to get over that first kind of hump uh, until it opens up and you can really start exploring. Um, but I kind of feel as though this is an indication that Breath of the Wild is, is almost a... It kind of almost set a new standard, I think, in, in terms of here are, here are some key rules or some key rules of thumb about how to do an open world game in a way that feels really good um and it makes me wonder if you know i I presume horizon will be an ongoing franchise it makes me wonder if if a horizon sequel will take any of those lessons on board it it honestly makes me think and this is quite an exaggeration i don't think horizon is anywhere near as worse than zelda as the comparison i'm about to bring up is bubsy 3d and super mario 64 came out within months of each other um and (laughs) there's a quote by one of the developers that uh they they were just working really hard on bubsy 3d for a long time and then they went to a trade show and uh it was also their first time at the same kind of trade show as Nintendo. And they were like, okay, yeah, let's go uh, check out the competition. And they went over to Nintendo's booth, they saw Mario 64, and they just realized how screwed they were. <laughs> um, obviously, Horizon is not near that level. No, uh, no. I, I actually can't speak to it. I have not played it, um, because I do not own a 
PlayStation 4. Uh, that needs to change for me soon. <laughs> we, we've talked about that in the past. I <laughs> I really just need a PlayStation 4 at this point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll be interested to see, actually, um, when you eventually play Horizon, I'm really interested to see what you think about it because it is... It is a very, very good game. It is, it is incredibly good, actually. But you can see that it's kind of, um, in some respects, it's confined to certain trappings of how open world games are done in 2016, 2017, if that makes sense. It's, yeah. You can very, you can, you could look back in a decade and I think you could know exactly what era it came from. Uh, which is very interesting to me. I'm I'm honestly a bit nervous to check it out, um, just because of this comparison. Uh, yeah. And I, I should probably break myself from that mentally because it's not a good thing to be comparing it to all the time. But I mean, that's just rough. You came out three days before Breath of the Wild. It's <laughs> it's really tough. <laughs> well, it's that's the thing. It's it's tough for everybody. I mean. Once you've, especially when you're still playing Breath of the Wild, it uh, almost anything that comes out around that time, even if it's in a different genre, I think is going to struggle uh, because it's pretty rare that you know um, that that such a big important game comes out. They they don't come out that often, uh, and when they do, you know they have such a massive gravitational force that they kind of um, they kind of suck in everything around them. Yeah, I um I was playing the Splatoon two demo that just came out uh the other night. Yeah, and I was trying to jump with X, <laughs> which is a unique trait to Breath of the Wild. I'm I can't think of a single other game that does that. Have you yeah. jump with the top button? Um, yeah, but it it just made me try to jump with X in Splatoon, which was honestly kind of annoying. Um. <laughs> uh, Anything else from 2017 so far? Uh, um, I know Prey was good, but I haven't played it. Uh, have you played Prey? No, I haven't played it. I um. Well, you don't get any Prey discussion on this podcast. Sorry, <laughs> listener. We can't play them all. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, I guess uh, two other quick things, and then and then maybe we'll move into the second half and and what's coming up and what we're looking forward to. Sure. Um, I'll make it quick. Uh, three games that are worth checking out. Uh, Little Nightmares. Okay. Is really really cool. I haven't Ooh, played this it. Is the, I've, um, I've watched it. <laughs> it's a it's a side scrolling horror platformer. Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I actually watched my sister play it. I haven't. Um, I've bought it, but I haven't played it. It's on my backlog. Um, but it it's just absolutely gorgeous um it's it's just incredible it, it's comparisons have been made between this and inside and and i think in some ways that's fair but it's quite different uh i think they're both very different games even though you could say that they're both kind of these uh these very kind of arty uh atmospheric takes on the traditional platformer um Highly recommend checking out Little Nightmares, uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. Right. And uh, all I've said here is, you know, the best Mario Kart got better. <laughs> That's my only comment on that one. 
um, especially if you haven't bought it on Wii U. It's and an you interesting have a switch. It, so, there is something to talk about there that um, I you've brought this up in your review. It just yeah. proves the form factor of the Switch so well. Yes. Um, Nintendo seems to have succeeded in a way that I'm not sure any console in the past has ever done before, which is that it could have the same game almost exactly as another console, Yeah. and it will simply be more fun to play on your console. And I sound a little bit like a Nintendo stan right now. Maybe that's true. Fair. But it just the it's so easy to play it in portable mode. You can just yeah. bring it anywhere and break off a controller so easily. It's like a commercial. It looks like a commercial when you do it. Um, that's yeah. That's a yeah. That's a really important point. And I and I think that that's one of the reasons why, you know, there, there's a bit of grumbling here and there sometimes about every new Wii U port that Nintendo announces and. Uh, now, there's obviously the fact that the Wii U didn't sell so great, and therefore there are probably a lot of people who did miss those games originally, and they don't necessarily want to go back up and pick up a Wii U. Mm -hmm. So it kind of makes sense from that perspective. But you're right. Um, playing these games in portable mode and, and having that very different way of interacting with them really does kind of change them. It, it really does present a different experience especially if you've you're used to playing portable mario kart on the 3ds for example which is which is fine um but this is a whole other level when you think about it as a portable game um so uh I, i'm actually hoping that they that they pick out some more wii u games that really make sense for switch and bring them across um my favorite Wii U game is one that, sales-wise, I know very many people did not play. And that yeah. is Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. It's got a silly yeah. name. It's It looks kind of just... If you played a Mario, maybe you played a Donkey Kong. You know, it's just a, it's a yeah. platformer. But there's a lot of really, really interesting things in that game that I cannot wait. If it gets a deluxe port, uh, I cannot wait for other people to play that game and to see just oh man we've really been sleeping on this game huh entire games industry uh yeah you have you have been sleeping on it yeah. also best soundtrack out of any game ever donkey Kong. oh that's Kong awesome Freeze. i i'm guilty of not playing it but i've heard i've had a number of people now harass me to play it so i think um i think that's the straw that broke the camel's back i think i need to go <laughs> to go and pick it up I mean, you say that, but you're not going to go back to your Wii U, are you? I still have my Wii U set up okay. to play. Yeah. I had um, to take it out of the HDMI port in my TV to make room for the Switch. And honestly, it's that's where it's been ever since. It's yeah. been kind of sitting in a box <laughs> next to my TV. Yeah, I think that's true for a lot of people. Um, and then... Two other quick mentions. One is uh, Wipeout Omega Collection. I don't know if you are a Wipeout fan. Or I don't know if you what have this any, is. Any history with this? It's it's basically it's a remaster. That's the first thing to say. Of um, the original Wipeout. Of three Wipeout games. Oh, okay. Uh, Wipeout Twenty Forty Eight, 
HD and Fusion. Uh, and look, long and short of it is there is there is a crap load of content in there because it is all three full games in one. Uh, and it's a really good quality remaster. They've actually, uh, th there's a great Digital Foundry video on YouTube that kind of goes into detail comparing Omega Collection with the original games. And uh, the, the developers have put a lot of effort into this. They've completely kind of rebuilt it from the ground up. Um, and, you know, if you're a Wipeout fan, it, it still feels great. Uh, each game feels slightly different. They kind of made some design changes over the years as they went. Um, I don't know if I've ever played a Wipeout game. How would you sell me on it? Well, the most obvious comparison is to something like F-Zero, but that's a little bit of an unfair comparison because F-Zero is much, much faster than Wipeout. Okay. Uh, Wipeout is... This is really going to turn you off the game, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> Wipeout is, is slower and kind of more floaty. So as you turn corners, as you kind of bank around corners, um, you, you really have to... Uh, how do I describe it? It's very kind of physics-based. Um, yeah, find... you're right. That didn't sound. That doesn't uh, sound great. It doesn't sound great, uh, but but it is. Trust me, it is. Okay. And and it's very strategic as well because it's got weapons, kind of Mario Kart esque uh, offensive and defensive items as well. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, it's got a. It's got this very very um, futuristic aesthetic. The original games had uh, all of the graphic design was done by a fairly famous graphic design agency in London whose name I don't remember. Um, and it was sort of notable for its graphic design. Um, very, very cool soundtrack. Um, I'm not sure how much this is going for, this collection, but uh, if you're into Wipeout at all, it's kind of a no-brainer. Um, just because of the amount of stuff in there. Um, and last one, and I'm interested to see, because we did talk about this a little while ago, um, I'm interested to see what your thoughts are now. ARMS. Right. Uh, which has only been out for a couple of weeks. Uh, I played the Test Punch and enjoyed it. Uh, and now I've been playing the, the finished game. I did the review. Uh, it was kind of a tough game to review. I'm sure. It's just because there's really nothing else like it. It's it's um, and I think whether or not you take to it, there there are a lot of ifs ands or buts. You know, um, it it it. I, I can imagine a lot of people not being into it. Uh, and I can imagine a lot of people falling in love with it as well. Well, Arms is the style of fighting game. That used to be just every fighting game. In that there's a Grand Prix mode that kind of substitutes an arcade story-ish situation, but it's not a story. Yeah. And the main game is just fighting. Yeah. Uh, and that's every fighting game from the 90s and early 2000s. Only recently have big story modes and things like Injustice 2, another great game that came out this year, uh, become sort of a norm. Yeah. Do you think it's, that's yeah. something ARMS was really missing? There's been a lot of discussion about it. 
or should it be judged more on just what it is or what do you well, think? Well, it's a really interesting question because the lack of a story mode I think the reason it feels like a missed opportunity is not so much because I was expecting a story mode in a, in a, in a fighting game, but more because the characters are so good. They are um, so the, good. You know, the character design is so great. And I, I think whether it's ARMS or whether it's Splatoon, I, I kind of put the two in a similar bucket because they're both these much, much newer franchises and they're both franchises that have this incredibly unique powerful character design and aesthetic um so the lack of a story is in some respects feels a little bit weird mm -hmm. given the attention to detail on the characters especially considering that splatoon did have one yeah um the only thing i would say is i I almost come at it from the point of view that it feels to me more like a party game than a fighting game. Um, yes, it's a fighting game, but if you think about all of the different modes, even the fact that it's motion controlled, uh, it, it feels much more on the party game side to me. It's, it's almost a hybrid of fighting game and party game. Uh, now which, that makes sense which, considering that the developer is um the Mario Kart team. Yeah. This is what they've been doing since the original release of Mario Kart 8 for the Wii U. Um and and that's that's the quintessential party game really. Um Yeah, yeah, and it's very focused on it's the kind of game that I think if you're playing it as a single player, if you don't have other people to play it with, if you're not playing the multiplayer modes then it's going to get old very, very quickly. Now, I am surprised to hear you say that, though, because um, I also played the Test Punch. I do not own the full game. Yep. But my initial impression of it was just that it was incredibly deep, and it, it, it just required a lot of practice for me to even understand what I was doing. It yep. didn't really seem like something I could just pop down and play at a party. That's interesting. Um, I guess the reason I mention it from a party game perspective is that um, I I played it a little bit solo, but I, I also played it with other people in the room. Uh, and I think I was the only one who had any experience with fighting games at all. And my experience is not great. Um, and what I found was people who, uh, for lack of a better word, are sort of more on the casual side, um, sure. who, who would probably never pick up a fighting game, were kind of jumping into this and flailing around and not necessarily doing great initially, but it, it felt good enough uh, and it felt intuitive enough for them that they were able to kind of run with it and really get into it. Um, so I, I feel as though it's one of those games that, um, and Nintendo say this all the time, you know, it's it's easy to pick up and play, but it's difficult to master. Kind of like Smash Brothers, in that sense, you know, you it, can. It, there pick are a up lot of comparisons fun. going on to Smash Brothers right now. Um, yeah, in between just having a lot of depth and being a 
party game. I I'll I'll be honest with you. I didn't have a super great time in the test punch. Um, yeah. The one-on-one fights were great. I think the yeah. when I was just with one other person, and that seems like the mode everyone is really playing. Yeah. Uh, they are very exciting. As soon as there's either a sports ball or more fighters introduced to the mix, it broke down for me. Yeah. Um. Do you agree with that, or or have you found uh, enjoyment in those modes as well? Ah, uh, well, interesting. I think we're almost opposites. Um, really? Yeah the the one on one fights I definitely really enjoyed, but I had most fun in party match. Okay. Um, and I think that was because I like the way that party match rotates modes and rotates players. Uh, it, it had enough variety to keep me interested. Um, having said that, I guess my, I guess my one negative or my one criticism would be that, uh, especially if you're in a fight with four players, uh, the thing that I found most annoying was that you can't seem to kind of manually target an enemy. So if, if you have two enemy fighters in front of you, the game will kind of make its own decision about who you should be facing and targeting based on, you know, a whole range of factors, I guess. For the most part, it works, but there are, there are definitely times where you, you don't feel that you're as in control as you should be, especially for a, from a fighting game perspective. Are you um, using motion controls? Yes. Yeah, uh, I primarily use motion. I I tried using um, I tried playing the game in handheld mode as well, but I just didn't enjoy it as much without motion, uh, and I was worse at it <laughs> without motion. Uh, it, it's one of those weird things where the the motion controls are are really intuitive, way more intuitive than any button layout that for that game could possibly be. Yeah. Because blocking, uh, the the one thing I remember that was big was blocking, was pushing yeah. in on the left control stick. Yeah. That's pretty ridiculous, right? Um, yeah. yeah. And there's a, there's one big difference uh, between sort of button and stick versus motion. And, and I wonder how this will play out in terms of more competitive stuff, if that arises. And that is just the fact that if you're playing with the buttons and sticks, when you send your arms out uh, independently, so the timing is different, you can direct, you can guide their direction while they're kind of mid-flight. But if you're not using motion controls, you can only direct both arms in the same direction, if that makes sense. Whereas with motion controls, for example, you can send one arm one way and the other arm a different way. And I think that makes a really big difference from a strategic perspective. So the fact that you can't do that without motion controls made the non-motion controls feel really limited to me. Uh, and and that I think that's one of the big reasons why I didn't like them. I, I don't see this game having a big competitive scene. Um... 
mainly well yeah mainly because of that 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 whole thing if you can't get all of the functionality out of not just a non-motion controller but a a wired controller yeah um it, it's just going to be very difficult for people to set up a tournament with that because they would have to have probably like hundreds of switches in a room if it's a big tournament yeah and all of a sudden every person has two joy cons uh so that that's uh many hundreds on top of that all of those are connecting to each other wirelessly that would be a loud (laughs) room wirelessly that could just never work Um, yeah the the bandwidth in the air wouldn't be good enough so yeah um i i'm I'm interested to see if there's a fix for that in the future, but I I couldn't imagine what that fix would be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what's happened so far in 2017. There's some stuff we left out, um, but there's some stuff that we didn't leave out on purpose. I don't know. A uh, lot of good games, and it doesn't look like it's going to be stopping anytime soon. What's on the horizon, James? Uh, so July is is a really big month. Um, We recently posted an article about uh, a a top 10, and there's definitely more than 10, but these were kind of top 10 games coming out in July that caught our attention. Uh, There's a lot. I'll just mention the ones that kind of interest me in particular. Um, For me, Final Fantasy XII, The Zodiac Age uh, on PS4 is is one that I'm really looking forward to. Um, now, is this a remaster of Final Fantasy XII, or is this a sequel? Uh, this is a remaster. Okay. Uh, which is great, because I really loved Final Fantasy XII. It was very different to, to you know, everything from kind of seven onwards. Um, but I really have no desire to go back and play it on PS2 at this point. Um, it's, it's really ripe for remastering. So I'm really looking forward to that one. It's interesting how this one can kind of just happen when Final Fantasy VII needs to be talked about for years and debated (laughs) about whether or not it can ever even see the light of day. And they seem pretty okay just putting Final Fantasy XII out there. Yeah, I mean, I guess the big thing is, and, and I think this is a real positive from my point of view, but I think... With Final Fantasy VII, they're, they're actually rebuilding and redesigning the whole game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's actually a different game that's coming out, uh, even though it's Final Fantasy VII. Um, whereas this is just, this is the original game, just with new textures and models and, you know, that type of stuff. I There may be other small tweaks, but I'm not sure what they are, if, if they're there. Um I'm just really looking forward to playing it in HD uh, on a modern TV. Sure, and, yeah. And playing through it again. Um, I guess the other big one for me is definitely Splatoon 2. Uh, and that's I'm this really is just this month. Play that. Yeah, that's just this month. Um, and then I guess, look, I've got a lot for the rest of the year. I'll just mention a we'll couple. We'll go through these faster. Yeah, okay. Uh, Destiny 2 in September. That's huge. R- really looking forward to that. Um, Cuphead finally 
has a release date. Okay, yeah. Um, that's also September. I can't wait to play that. That looks really cool. That's a fun Xbox exclusive right there. Uh, so that'll be a reason to dust off the old Xbox. Um, I have pre-ordered a Super Nintendo Classic Mini, which is also coming out in September. I can't do that yet. Oh, is that still not available for pre-order in the States? Still not. Wow. Yeah. Uh, they they opened up pre-orders here a while ago, actually. Uh, I think it was within the last sort of week. So not long after it was announced. Um, so, you know, hopefully that, that arrives. <laughs> um, when that gets closer to launch, I think we'll do a Super Nintendo episode. That That deserves it. Um, yeah, that would be great. We don't have enough time this day uh, for that. What else is going on? Uh, look, the last big one for me is definitely Super Mario Odyssey. Sure, yeah. Uh, which which we've talked about. Um, I'm I'm interested in Crackdown Three as well. Okay. Uh, but I I haven't been following it as closely in the last few months, so I'm a little bit out of the loop on that one. Um, but I I will be kind of looking at that again as we get closer. Uh, what about you? What are the games that you're looking forward to? Well, you named a lot of them, um, but there's there, there's a few more I would add. Um, I'm not a big Assassin's Creed guy, but Origins does have some things that make it look a little more interesting than normal. Um, yep. I, I'm interested in trying it out. I'm not necessarily going to say that that's going to add up to the the rest of the year. Uh, I don't think Assassin's Creed has that power anymore. But it's it's, yeah. it's exciting, nonetheless. A game that definitely does have that power that could blow the rest of the year out of the water. Well, not all of it. Um, is Wolfenstein 2, the new Colossus. Um, the Ooh, first yeah. Wolfenstein... Well, not the first Wolfenstein. But the Wolfenstein 1 that this is 2 of was uh, the New Order. And Wolf Wolfenstein the New Order was just a very, very surprisingly amazing game just out of nowhere um yeah really revitalized the whole series um i know a lot of people that immediately after e3 they were just like i think i'm gonna replay wolfenstein the new order i i know maybe three different people that did that yeah um i i'm considering it myself but i'm kind of playing a number of things right now so i am gonna hold off on that one a little bit but uh that's the same day as both Super Mario Odyssey and Assassin's Creed Origins, October 27th, <laughs> at least here in the States. I don't know what uh, the release schedule in Aussie land is going to be. Yeah. And um, I, I think that's it for big things. I know people are going to be excited about um, Xenoblade 2. Yeah. I don't, I don't really have any opinions on that. I didn't play the first one. Uh, unfortunately, I'm unable to contribute to the conversation uh and also i am a little honestly a little uncomfortable by the way every female character in that game looks to be dressed um i feel like it's <laughs> taking away a lot of the good parts of that game uh, i uh i have played the closest i've ever been to the franchise was playing xenoblade chronicles x on the wii u oh okay uh but i get from what i gather that's quite different to kind of the main series yeah I from think, what yeah. i understand and I, I i 
realize that both of us are speaking in hearsay right now. From what I understand, Xenoblade Chronicles X is much more of an offline MMO style of gameplay, while yeah. Xenoblade Chronicles is straight JRPG, much like a Final Fantasy. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, and, and 2, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 seems to be the same as 1 in that regard. Okay. Um, people are going to be interested in that, and it is exciting that it is actually coming out this year. After all of the delays from Breath of the Wild, I was wondering if Nintendo could actually balance bringing out all of its stuff that they've promised this year for this year, and they are doing it, so that's pretty impressive. Uh, and with that, I, I, I think that's mostly it. I'm probably forgetting something big, but... Well, yeah, that happens. Yeah, I mean, look, it's kind of like the first half of the year. There is so much stuff coming out. I mean, you know, Mario and Rabbids that we were talking about before, yeah. Sonic Mania, Metroid Samus Returns, um, uh, the new Uncharted game. The new well, Uncharted, yeah, I'm there's a new Uncharted to. game, and it's there's like a, a footnote. new Uncharted game. Um, that's the thing that there is just so much coming out, and it's it's very kind of evenly spaced throughout the year you know from now right up until november december so it's it's a huge year um i there's no way i'm going to be able to play everything that i'm looking forward to um so i think that backlog is just going to be getting bigger and bigger um what seemed like a disservice at the time which is final fantasy 7 Kingdom Hearts 3, Spider-Man, and God of War, previously all assumed to be out this year. Uh, none of them are coming out this year. Uh, that's probably good at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's I'm just thinking, a lot of thank things. Thank God. Yeah, yeah, give us some space. Yep. Yeah. And the nice thing is as well, just, just to put a final kind of point on it, is that really, no matter what platform you own, uh, although... You know, if you if you have a Switch or a PS4, you're 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 probably looking a bit healthier than the Xbox One crowd. But yeah. having said that, whatever platform you own, the second half of this year is definitely has something big for you. So everybody kind of wins, I think. Absolutely, like um, Wolfenstein is multi-platform. Uh, Assassin's Creed is multi-platform. Yeah. There's tons. There's tons of games for pretty much everyone. Yep. This is the part of the show where James and I do a little thing called extracurricular activities. You're out of school now. We've listened to everything that we have to say. We, you've heard our rants. But uh, we just want to send you home with maybe some homework, maybe something to uh, look into, something related to games that we think you would be good to check out outside of our podcast. James, do you have an extracurricular activity for this week? Well, mine is uh, mine is not related to games. It is games. Oh, okay. Uh, this one. Uh, I, I'm, I'll have to get more creative next time, I think. But I do want to mention something. Uh, I want to mention Hitman on PS4. Uh, I have never, ever, ever played a Hitman game before. Never really understood why it had such a following. 
Um, and the last Hitman game was kind of released in episodes. You can now buy all of those episodes as one game. And at least in Australia, I'm not sure about other markets, but at the moment it's on sale here. Hmm. And I picked it up just because uh, I'd heard a lot about it. All the episodes were together and it was pretty cheap. Uh, and I have to say I'm really enjoying it. It's uh, If it's something you haven't checked out before and you're looking for something to play and maybe you don't want to kind of go out there and pay full price for something, definitely have a look at this, especially if you like stealth games. Um, this is all about stealth. It feels a lot like very playing unique. an early James Bond movie. Yeah, it's... Uh, one thing that's really surprised me about it, just because I didn't know much about it before, was the way that it puts you into a scenario and gives you so many different ways of problem solving. Um, I found myself spending a lot of time just exploring the environment and kind of looking at the habits of different characters um, and, and just thinking about different ways of approaching the situation. Um, it's, it's kind of a nice game to, to play, to relax if you're in between kind of big action games. So highly recommend checking it out. I think that's a fantastic extracurricular activity. Fun fact about Hitman. Um, it, it was this game, the, the episodic Hitman game was created by IO Interactive, which at the time was a subset of Square Enix, but as of just Within the last month or so, maybe month and a half or so, uh, Square Enix has tried to uh, sell IO Interactive, and that seemed like bad news at the time, but they have bought their independence and now are their own developer and have confirmed that they retain the rights to Hitman and uh -huh. that Season 2 is on the way. That is awesome. Isn't it? It's really You, you cool. don't hear that kind of happy ending to a legal strife in video game world very often yeah yeah that's very cool yeah it's great um my extracurricular activity is uh it's it's a youtube series called awful squad i was actually gonna go with something else but uh james you telling me uh about your uh lack of knowledge about player un player unknowns battlegrounds i definitely want to recommend this one this week Awful Squad is a YouTube series that Polygon puts on where some of their reporters get together and form a squad on uh, PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds and they they record just their games. Uh, I, I think they're just really funny, great people and it's probably one of the cleanest and easiest ways to just understand what this game is all about. Um... One of the ways I started watching people play Player Unknown's Battlegrounds is through Awful Squad, so that is my recommendation. You can find it at YouTube. That's uh, awesome. Yep. Yeah. So until next time, we'll be back next week. This has been our E3 or our post E3 discussion and our 2017 year in mid review. Stay super, and we'll jump at you next time.